Hi everyone, welcome to Brains and Bellies. And Beth and I are super excited. Today we'll be talking with Chef Renee Lesson, who is a, a New York City chef for many years. She's also a bread maker, a bread baker. She does both gluten and non-gluten breads. And you guessed it, today's episode is all on gluten, what it is, how it affects people. And we're gonna dive into that in just a moment. Brains and Bellies fuses together ancient Ayurvedic techniques with modern functional nutritional therapy methods in order to heal the body and mind. We use food as medicine as our mantra and we examine the bodily systems at play while simultaneously getting to the root of your health issue using two different systems perspectives. Beth English Myers, a nutritional therapist, and Carrie Jenkins, an Ayurvedic health counselor, will help identify what patterns in your life may be making you feel unwell, be it spiritual, physical, diet, or lifestyle. So join us here on Thursdays for Brains and Bellies. And here's the show. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, Renee. Hi, Renee. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, sure. It's exciting. Gluten. We're so excited. We have been talking about doing this episode for a really long time, and here we are. Um, just a little brief intro about gluten. So Beth is going to dive into the details, and it's just one of those topics that's on top of mind for many people. Should, should I eat it? Should I not? Should I cut it out of my diet? Is bread unhealthy for me? What should I do? Yeah, gluten. So again, you know, here we are in 2022. So if you remember a few years ago, it became very fashionable to remove gluten. There was a lot more gluten um, being discussed, et cetera, et cetera. We'll touch on upon some of those points today. Um, gluten, what is gluten? So gluten is a insoluble protein that's in um, many carbohydrates that are very delicious, including pastries, cakes, um, cookies, pretzels, bagels, etc. Gluten, if you think of the name, um, it's the glue. It's an elasticity that it lends to uh, these delicious um, products. So gluten, when we have issues with gluten, someone might have abdominal pain after eating um, a bagel, for example, they might have um, a rash, okay? They might have gas, they might have bloating, uh, they might have anxiety uh, or brain fog, depression, low mood. These are symptoms that will relate to a gluten intolerance or a sensitivity to gluten. By all means, they're not mutually exclusive. It doesn't merit, it's not always a direct correlation, but these are symptoms that uh, people report when they have gluten. One thing in nutrition we have to be really careful with is an understanding that gluten is in so many food products, uh, not just the ones I've mentioned already, but pastas, a lot of of meals, foods are prepared with flour. Gluten is in um, wheat, barley, rye, pumpernickel, many crops. So it's very, very pervasive out in the diet at large. And in nutrition, we've just noticed that when people reduce their gluten and go towards other grains like quinoa, uh, like brown rice, like millet, like amaranth, gluten-free oats, oats that have not been exposed to the wheat crop, they tend to feel better. 
So that's where nutrition, I find this very, very interesting. But we also want to identify what an, what an individual's tolerance or intolerance is specifically to gluten, which I can break down in a moment, Carrie or Renee, if you want to add something to what I've said. I guess I wanted to just talk briefly about the Ayurvedic view of gluten, the overall overarching view, which is that Ayurveda is not against gluten. It's not against wheat. And in generally, Ayurveda is not against any food. Um, and we look at allergies as not something that you should run away from and hide from that thing. Although obviously there are certain specific problems, like if you have celiac disease, which we're going to get into a little bit more, then we would look at it a little differently. But in terms of an allergy or an intolerance, we often look at what is the, the root of the problem. And it's, it's about the gut. It's about not having um, the correct balance, the digestive agni or the digestive fire is off. Um, there's probably a lot of ama or undigested waste in the system. And so we would look at it in terms of, oh, you're having some of these digestive problems, rashes, as Beth uh, mentioned, brain fog, these other issues. And we would approach it by treating the gut and then trying to clear some of the ama and then slowly reintroducing the food to see how you do. And oftentimes we see that people do better on it. And sometimes they don't. Sometimes they have to just completely leave it out of, out of their diet, which is also fine. But like everything that Ayurveda views in terms of food or, or anything we do, that anything can be a poison or a medicine, it always depends on the dose. So we always suggest looking at what you're doing on a daily basis and kind of noticing if, if you're overdoing anything. So many people may have recognized that they eat you know a baguette every single day and and then suddenly they have a trigger so that's often the case and not always the case um anyway variety is key in in terms of the ayurvedic view of, of that absolutely anything in nutrition we talk always about the gut and uh, if you're sensitive to to wheat if you're sensitive to gluten um, grains and products uh, if you're sensitive to how that gluten has been delivered to you, if it's an industrialized flour or if it's uh, from a crop that's been exposed to a high amount of pesticides, all these things are going to present in the body in one shape or another. They'll either be detoxified more easily or they might be an issue in digestion. They could be an issue uh, with the lining of the gut. So we always think of many different scenarios. Uh, but we also want to be really careful that we don't um, remove everything all at once. We want to do things in a measured approach. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I thought it might be a good idea for each of us to just talk about our own personal issue or personal story with gluten. Renee, do you want to start? You want to give us your... Um, sure. Well, I am a lover of gluten. I don't suffer from any gluten type problems. I'm a bread baker. I love making sourdough breads. And uh, I use the discard and other baking goods because I do think that there are health benefits with using a sourdough starter. Um, it is a fermentation. So I think it is good for your gut biome to microbiome to have, you know, in, use and in, have it in your system. As a chef, I cook, I've cooked for a lot of gluten free people. It's, it's very difficult because 
literally everything in the supermarket or the store has gluten in it. You, you don't even think about your condiments, your soy sauces, you know, for people who really have celiacs, it's, it's a very difficult nutritional thing in, in modern society, almost impossible to mm. eat out. It's kind of unbelievable. And I wonder if some of the sensitivity people feel is because there's just so much processed gluten you know, and everything. It's just an overabundance for certain systems. That's a good point. Speaking to your point on just how difficult it is. When I first had to go gluten free, so I, I, you know, ate lots of gluten, had no problems. And then in 2009, um, I discovered I had Hashimoto's disease, which for those of you that don't know, is a thyroid um, autoimmune disease. Um, and I discovered that after I had suffered from two ectopic pregnancies that seemingly just happened for no reason, I seemed perfectly healthy. Anyway, <clears throat> so my doctor suggested that I go off gluten as one of the ways to help treat my autoimmune response that was causing the Hashimoto's. For any of you that aren't familiar with autoimmune problems, it's when your body attacks uh, one of the tissues of, of your body. And in this case, the body's attacking the thyroid. And it was a really difficult time for me because I had spent my whole life pretty much trying to keep myself from getting diabetes because my father, sister, and a couple other relatives all had type 1 diabetes, which is also an autoimmune disease. So I really didn't want that. And I had always been kind of cautious of sugar intake and things like that. But uh, suddenly I have an autoimmune disease, but it's a different one. So in any event, I was asked to go off gluten. I was asked to go off sugar. I was asked to go off alcohol all together at one time in 2009. And it was it was daunting. I have to say it was to go to a restaurant was absolutely impossible because this in these years, it wasn't as easily available. They didn't have anything gluten free and to, to try to navigate a menu. Um, and at that point, I was still a vegetarian. So <laughs> it was really difficult to eat, I have to tell you. Anyway, I did my best. And I definitely started feeling better pretty, pretty fast after um, implementing these things. And I will say that I was pretty strict at the beginning. And then I did loosen the reins a little bit. And I would enjoy a little sugar here and there. I would have a little bit of alcohol occasionally. Um, I tried to stick really pretty strict with the gluten for quite a number of years. And I still follow it to this day. But I've definitely had moments where I have allowed myself to just indulge. I was recently in in Paris, and I had a little bit of a croissant. I had another type of bakery item. Um, I maybe won't eat the whole thing, but I'll try. And you know, every once in a while, I might taste a baguette or something. But we're talking about a few times a year, not very often. And I have had some problems with accidentally having gluten and then actually suffering that day or the next day with digestive problems and diarrhea. So I do have to be careful. Um, I've gotten used to it. It definitely has made me not eat processed food. I very rarely eat processed food. Um, that's where you find most of the hidden gluten. But the good news is that the antibodies that they use to judge uh, autoimmune problem is my antibodies continually go down. And the last time I had my blood work done, I'm happy to report they weren't even detectable. So oh, brilliant. I can't that's say amazing. that I don't have Hashimoto's anymore. I still have it, but I, I'm in a good place. So I feel, you know, I'm going to continue on my path with not having gluten as much as I love bread, as much as I loved the baked <laughs> items. And we're going to get into this in a minute, but I'm lucky enough to know someone like Chef Renee, who actually has made me a few different types of sourdough 
gluten-free bread. And we're going to talk to her about that in a few minutes, but it's, I've been so lucky to um, indulge in those things. So what about you, Beth? What's your story? Yeah. Also, just to say, uh, just to clarify, so um, celiac disease affects about one in 133 people. And it is it is very severe. And if it's a child with celiac disease, um, we describe it as a failure to thrive because they've got damage uh, within their gut lining and they're not absorbing nutrients. So it's one of those things where it may present when when someone's a child, but it may present later in life. And it also might not present immediately. And how would you test? Well, some of these symptoms we've been describing, having trouble absorbing nutrients, having uh, abdominal issues, uh, a specific skin rash called dermatitis herpetiformis. Um, it's, a, uh, it's a specific um, IgA immunoglobulin A response within the skin. That can be really helpful in diagnosing, um, medically diagnosing. Um, celiac disease. Getting that diagnosis is really key, and that's all. It's done a few different ways. Uh, it's done with a blood test, checking the antibodies. Uh, but that person would have would need to be consuming gluten daily, okay, or at least daily for six weeks before the test. Um, it can also be done by a biopsy with camera going into the gut lining um, and getting a sample. So it is very serious. It's important to get it uh, properly assessed. Uh, but then there's also um, sensitivity to gluten, which a lot of people may have, and it could be a, a true sensitivity to that protein. Um, or as Renee was saying so eloquently, it could be um, a response to having, it's very easy to have a lot of gluten in the diet because it's in so many com um, foods that we see every day in the market and um, the bakery, et cetera. Gluten foods are usually quite inexpensive as well. They're easy to um, to get into your into your diet. So someone could have a sensitivity to it. I find that a lot of people, when they, re when they reduce gluten, when they start having alternatives, I don't think anyone's ever said to me they felt worse. They usually feel a lot better for having brown rice instead of a whole wheat pasta or having trying quinoa for the first time or trying millet, amaranth, uh, having more oats as opposed to a, a wheat or a... Um, a wheat uh, or barley cereal. That's what we're learning about with uh, that's what we're learning about with gluten. And for me personally, I became aware of it first through you, Carrie, many years ago. Because <laughs> I remember you told me you were avoiding it, and I was like, "What?" And this was like 2008, 2009, circa then, and it was uh, before the wave of people talking about it, right? So for me personally, when I was pregnant with my daughter, just over about 11 years ago. I was having digestive issues. I went to a medical doctor who specialized in uh, women's health and was a Ayurvedic practitioner as well. And she immediately took me off of gluten for my digestive issues. And what I now know is inflammation. Um, and she put me on turmeric and she put me on digestive enzymes and probiotics, all this for the first time. And uh, it took me a month to get used to swapping out gluten getting my head around it. As Renee was saying, it is really confusing, all the ingredients that gluten is in. But um, I did it and I felt so great. I didn't look back and it fit my personality. I was fine with checking labels. I was fine with finding creative swaps. I was fine with, uh, I actually kind of enjoyed finding the alternatives. Um, but because I felt so good, I, I did it really seriously for years. And I could tell you during that time, like how many times I had a nibble of a croissant or a bite of birthday cake. So I did it very seriously for almost 10 years. I'm still waiting for like a, 
a, a, a medal or something. <laughs> no one's ever sent me a medal. This is, I would say in recent, I really would love one. I would say in recent years, uh, recent year, I've actually relaxed. So I feel like I did my decade. And now I actually focus more on, as Renee was saying, the quality. So if it's a good quality sourdough from a good bakery, I will enjoy that. Uh, I've even now relaxed more if I go to certain pizza or bakeries that like I'll look at their flour or I'll just get a sense of the quality. Uh, I'll, I'll have some because I've actually found I do better digestively having good quality than having a highly processed gluten alternative. And I've been gotten really sick on some really bad uh, gluten um, pizza crusts and gluten alternatives. So and that's the thing, you know, a lot of gluten-free products have a lot of stuff in it yeah. to make it be that tasty pizza crust, that gluten-free pizza crust. Or So of- I always think it's better to just have like a freshly made pizza dough, one that you make yourself with some whole grain and your starter. I think it's much better. Yeah, I agree. And even from the Ayurvedic point of view, again, we would say oftentimes it's kapha people or a person that has a kapha imbalance that's having a hard time with gluten. Now, again, I'm talking about someone that does not have celiac disease, but has has some of these issues that they are triggered possibly from eating bread. But the interesting thing is, you know, the quality when we think of the quality of wheat or the quality of some of these bread items and particularly the processed. And now we can even think of the processed gluten free products. They have a gooey quality to them because they're trying to use something to stick them together to keep things cohesive. Right. And so that in and of itself is very difficult to digest. It doesn't matter if there's gluten in it or not gluten in it when you've right. got a gooey processed you know, food you're trying to break down, it's going to be difficult right. and it's going to be difficult across the board, whatever right. di- imbalance you well, have. Well, they have, they also, they have to also increase the shelf life. So that requires that gluey quality. Yeah. And also it's all very expensive. So they know people don't want to buy $12 on a bread that's, you know, dead the next day, let's say inedible, you know, cause it's so dry. Gluten-free products oh. tend to be drier. That's so true. Yes. So they overcompensate um, for that. You know, with with Ayurveda in terms of autoimmunity, that component of this, so whether it's Hashimoto's or even celiac, celiac is also an autoimmune disease. Generally, our viewpoint is that all three doshas are activated by the time you've got an autoimmune response going on. So you've got inflammation or too much fire, imbalanced fire. You've got dryness going on. You've got too much air. You've got sluggish happening. All three are a problem. And there's definitely AMA. And the, the bodily functions and systems are just not working and communicating properly. But I will say there's no, there's no 100% definitive science that gluten and Hashimoto's go hand in hand, but there is a ton of research now on autoimmune diseases and specifically that once you have one on autoimmune disease, your chances of getting another go up. I can't remember the exact, but it's like 50%. So that's one of the things that I've been really concerned with, with my own health. And when I work with people that have an autoimmune disease, I really want to try to help them 
not end up with another one because then, you know, things get even more complicated. <laughs> I really like the work of this doctor named Alicia Fasano, which some of you may have heard about. He's a, a pediatric gastroenterologist and a scientist, and he's an expert in celiac and autoimmunity and gut permeability. So he studied the connection between autoimmunity and gluten in-depthly. He is really well-versed in this. You should all look him up and we'll be sure to put a link to him on the show notes for any of you that want. But he pointed out something I found really interesting. Apparently before 1944, celiac disease was known, but that no one had any idea what caused it. Uh, And then during World War II, there was hunger, obviously, in many countries because of what was happening. But in the Netherlands, there was this big railroad worker strike uh, to kind of defy the Nazi occupation. And the Nazis reacted by cutting off the food supply to the city. So many people were hungry in that winter, the winter of 1944. But there was a children's hospital um, and there was a pediatrician there working with the children named Wilhelm Dicke, I believe is the right pronunciation. Anyway, he noticed that these children that were there because they had celiac disease were suddenly getting better despite their hunger. So the mortality rate of the children with celiac fell from about 35% before this to zero suddenly. Wow. Um, And he did have a suspicion leading up to this that wheat could have been the problem or the culprit with the the celiac, but there was no definitive science and he definitely wasn't sure. Um, But anyway, after doing a little bit more research and by uh, 1950, so he wrote this big paper in 1950, that really pointed to wheat and rye and the other gluten products triggering celiac disease. And he almost won the Nobel Peace Prize. His name was put in, but then he passed away right before um, they announced the winner. Um, But he is really, you know, the person to think about when we kind of figure out how we even know that wheat or gluten causes celiac. Anyway, so Elias Fasano was talking about this recently and I was thinking, oh my gosh, that's so interesting particularly in light of what's happening currently with Ukraine, because Ukraine has one of the biggest wheat, it's one of the biggest wheat producers in the world. And so they're really looking, basically kind of counting on the fact that we're going to have a lot of really hungry people moving forward because they're not able to grow the wheat or to export the wheat. So I'm curious how this is going to affect the gluten, the celiacs in the rest of the world. Um, It'll be interesting. Um, hopefully we will not, we will have a silver lining to all of this like they did in 1944. Just to say, uh, not to take much seriousness, uh, what you just said, Carrie, also with the Second World War, that's when we saw this industrialization of bread production um, to feed the soldiers. So, you know, we did our whole podcast on sourdough and it was World War II time when they started uh, making the getting the dried yeast, uh, making bread more quickly, not doing that process that I know Renee does with her gorgeous sourdoughs. So all of that was um, done in done in a faster set uh, fashion and quality uh, took um, took a hit. And I think that celiac proper celiac disease as the autoimmune uh, is one thing. And I think the silver lining and people becoming more aware of what gluten is, is that those pe- people who have celiac disease need that support and need to have it recognized. Uh, and I think for uh, sensitivity and tolerance, uh, I think that it, it gives us a lot to consider. Are we reacting to um, the actual gluten? Are we reacting to so much of it? Are, are we reacting to 
the way it's been handled and processed and industrialized. And again, nutrition, we're, we're obsessed with that actual lining of the, of the, of the gut and permeability. Um, it's not just um, pesticides or gluten or wheat. It could also be caffeine, stress, sugar, alcohol. Uh, so it's one of many factors that could cause inflammation or issues in gut permeability that can react in symptoms, as we discussed, the abdominal issues or skin issues, etc. Um, I would just like to add uh, just two quick things. Um, first, with the gluten-free uh, alternatives, a lot of them um, are high in tapioca starch, uh, high in refined white flour starch or potato starch and that we, we kind of refer to gluten-free as potentially the new diabetes type 2 because <laughs> it can be really high in the glycemic mm -hmm. index so to really be careful with those products i also just want to mention a really wonderful book uh that's um quite easy to read and i i learned so much from reading this book it's jennifer's way um, by the actress jennifer esposito and it's just, you can't put this book down. She really talks about her journey um, with celiac disease and being misdiagnosed for decades, like really going to the physician, going to the doctor, to healers many times, getting an incorrect diagnosis and the toll it took on her, uh, her health, but also her mental health in such a big way. And then once she connected the dots, like what, a, what an amazing healing um, journey it was for her. So I highly recommend, we'll link it. Um, Jennifer's Way by Jennifer Esposito. Yes, and Beth. Um, she had a bakery in uh, our neighborhood for many oh, cool. years. Hey, Renee, remember that? Because that was my stop, my weekly stop at her bakery yeah. to buy a loaf of bread, which was delicious. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's that's brilliant. Um, and we also have to give a shout out to uh, Baby um, baby Cakes NYC. That's yeah, Baby Cakes, cakes is great. So gluten and no nuts and no refined sugar and no dairy. So Beth and, and Renee, um, I thought maybe we could just briefly, can each of you talk about how you would go about working with someone um, that has either celiac or gluten sensitivity or irritable bowel, step by step what you would do. So Beth with you and nutrition and Renee um, with you and being a chef. Um. So I would just say with, with me, I would never want to remove a, a food group without a clear diagnosis, but I'm very happy to reduce the gluten or even um, reduce it for, let's say, four weeks. And I would say low gluten. So really reducing it because um, I don't want people to miss out on other nutrients. So really arm them with a good list of uh, amazing alternatives like brown rice, like quinoa, like uh have them make a millet sweet potato burger. I have a great recipe for that with nutritional yeast. Getting new things in. Um, again, gluten is just so easy. So just changing those habits and getting some really delicious alternatives in. And then um, really looking at it in the context of a whole food um, nutrient packed uh, regime. That's how I would look at it. Got it. And Beth, can you give us one, just one of your favorite um, gluten-free treats that you like? Yeah, I would just say if I'm suspecting a sensitivity and I don't see celiac disease or I'm not getting a diet, I'm not been given the diagnosis of celiac disease, the first thing I would think of is overnight oats. So just choosing the gluten-free oats, which haven't been cross-contaminated in production, and then doing a really simple overnight oat with those um, those oats, adding um, a plant-based milk, chia seeds, almonds, nuts and seeds, putting that in the fridge overnight and then having it the next day with berries. It's such a great breakfast, really fast, easy 
alternative to, let's say, a granola or a cereal box. Awesome. Sounds great. Um, Renee, what about you? How do you go about working with people? People usually come to me after they've had their diagnosis. So a lot of times they come with, you know, their list of foods that a, a, a doctor or nutritionist recommends them adding to their diet. And I sort of, and then I'm the person that sort of helps them figure out how they're going to eat, you know, because a lot of people, if they've been eating, you know, gluten or a regular diet, and all of a sudden their doctor says, well, you have celiacs or diabetes or any of these things, it's a real change for people. And it's a hard, hard change to change the diet that you've eaten your whole life. And that obviously you enjoy. I try not to do too many substitutes because nothing's going to taste the way you're used to liking it. And I try to add new things like try this, you know, because I find it's very hard to recreate, you know, I don't know, like the hamburger bun on your burger, you know, like I tried opening up to new food things. So that they have um, for another food and that they yeah, like, oh, you know, this is kind of, this is good. I could eat this because it's, uh, well, you can do like cookies and things like that or gluten-free. I think those are good. Um, you know, I try not to do too many substitutes because I find that problematic. I vote, you know, people always kind of balk at that because it doesn't taste the way they like it, you know. That's a really good point. Yeah, I guess if I really kind of trace my own um, experience with, the gluten and giving it up and then how where I am today on it. I think that just is what happens because after trying so many times to replace it with something that is gluten free and then that thing failing because it never is anything. I mean, especially bread, let's say. I think eventually I just learned to like other things. Um, Yeah, yeah, from the Ayurvedic uh, point of view, we would first ask the person to just, well, we would consider what constitution they have. We would consider what imbalance they have. Uh, We'd consider their digestion. And then also we'd consider what season it is because certain seasons are easier for digestion than others. So like spring actually is not a great time for for gluten or for that gooey quality in general. And also where people live. They're living in a place like Scotland versus a place like um, Arizona. Uh, digestion is going to be a little bit different. But again, this definitely a person that has celiac disease, we have to be very uh, sensitive to because they can't have any gluten and any cross contamination. Renee, can you share with us just briefly a little bit about your bread baking? So you make sourdough, but I've had the experience of being able to taste your gluten-free sourdough and your starter you made fresh yourself. And can you just kind of explain that and that experience and how you found it? I can I can vouch for the flavor and I have to say hands down that has been my favorite gluten-free bread in all of these years. So it's been almost 13 years now I've been gluten-free and your bread <laughs> wins the medal. So again, I wish I could give I'll maybe I'll make you a medal. <laughs> so I wanted to I was sort of interested as I'm a regular bread baker. And then I was interested in, is there any way that you can do a gluten-free bread that has that sourdough quality? And, um, and that started me, of course, down the rabbit hole of all the blogs and recipes and online information. And I stumbled upon this kind of random recipe that ended up being really terrific. And it works. It's naturally leavened. I use a, a brown rice flour and water 
And, but that has to uh, ferment for three weeks. So it's something that you have to feed every day. And then towards the beginning of your bread baking, you have to feed it twice a day. So it's really becomes a little child in your life. And, um, and you know, you get, you kind of get a similar quality with um, your sourdough starter where it rises, you can see it's feeding. And then it deflates when it's done. And then it's time for feeding again. And then it's a mixture of different gluten-free type flours. I don't think you can actually make a good bread with just using like one type of flour. You need to just have a mixture of like your buckwheat, your oat flour. You could use millet flour. You can use, I do in the bread use some psyllium husk powder, which I grind. And that actually gives you that sort of bread quality that, you know, kind of sticks the bread together, that kind of gluten-y type quality. And then, you know, flax, ground flax seed. It's a real combination. And I, and honestly, it, it, it's, it's a lot of work because it's really trial and error, but it takes so long to get your starter ready. You know, it's a real labor of love. And is that. that recipe something that we can share with our listeners on? Our- uh, yeah. Yes. Wonderful. So yes. we'll, we'll, um, put that in the show notes so you can look there for the uh for renee's recipe i've had the pleasure of trying this loaf that she's described i've also had a baguette which i have to tell you that was my first time i think ever having a gluten-free baguette because nobody has ever taken the time to make a gluten-free baguette at least in my world and i've i've traveled quite a bit and and really been on the lookout for gluten-free freshly baked things i highly recommend this recipe that um renee has described because it was so good and it was like gold i i ate some for a couple days and then i decided i'm going to put this in the freezer so i can enjoy it on a day that i really want a piece of bread or toast and it still held up it was still delicious and i i tried to keep it for as long as possible yeah any of you who are interested in in trying uh one of these things um one of these recipes please feel free and reach out if you have any questions and we'll try to set you on the right path. Yeah. Um, I would say the one thing that you definitely need for this recipe is a, a little scale, which you can get on Amazon for like $20 because it's really uh, weighing it. You can't really do it by cup or tablespoon. If the gram, You need to really get the grams down exactly to work well. So it's so, got to be very specific. That's good to know. Yeah. I mean, all bread baking, honestly, should be done with a scale. Got it. Okay. And actually, probably any baking, any gluten-free baking is, 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 is best using a little digital kitchen scale. Well, I do do a little bit of gluten-free baking with almond flour at home. Occasionally, I'll make a pumpkin muffin or a banana muffin mm-hmm. or some gluten-free cookies, as you mentioned, which are, are quite easy. But one of the things I like to make occasionally is soca bread, so using chickpea flour. And it's pretty easy. It's just a flat bread, but that I don't have to be very specific about. Right, right. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's a lot of things. I mean, you know, because you have to throw away so much discard in your starter. Um, you can make little like idlis, like little Indian pancakes or dosas. That's all the basis for um, dosas and stuff like that. So you can use your discard for everything. You're not feeling so wasteful. You are throwing away a certain amount. And you also, I, I believe you get the benefits of the fermented flour. Great for your gut. Totally. And we did that whole episode um, a few months back with Dan, who's the sourdough maker England. And we, we do have notes on that for anyone who's interested. Any last, last tidbits you'd like to share with anyone, Renee, on going gluten-free? There actually is a really good cookbook. I think it's called Canel e Vanel. 
she does amazing gluten-free baked goods and baguettes and breads and her recipes are really great and easy to follow. And one of the websites that I like to use as a guide for gluten-free baking particularly is Elena's Pantry. I'll put that in the show notes as well. And that's for just not anything um, specific like sourdough bread, what you're talking about, but more general things like almond flour type of baked goods. And she's is celiac herself and she's got some great recipes there. All right. Well, there you have it. And we look forward to hearing from any of you with any questions or comments on going gluten-free on celiac or any of the other um, autoimmune issues that we've discussed today. So thanks so much, Renee. All right. Thanks, Carrie. And that's the show for today, folks. Thanks for joining us. You can find us on Instagram at Brains and Bellies Health or online on our webpage at brainsandbellies.com. And just a reminder that none of the advice we've given today on this Brains and Bellies podcast is meant to diagnose or treat any health problem. So please do seek the advice of your doctor for any specific health issue and join us next time for Brains and Bellies. See you soon.